From underneath the door comes a wisping wind of white mist, and a hand crashes through the window, and a head crashes through the window, and it just has to ask the same question that is asked each and every week. It's hey. Did you see this one? The year is 2024, and two friends once again invite you to join them in revisiting, or discovering for the first time, the masterworks of a filmmaker who transcends genre, whose horrors have lurked in the dark, broken free from the ice, crawled straight from hell, or even pulled themselves from the very pits of a mad mind who showed us the hidden corners of Chinatown, sent a man from the stars, and dragged us to New York, LA, and even Mars. Nearly unmatched as a genre filmmaker, once again, Hey, Did You See This One? invites you to look upon the works of a genius. We present to you, Jan. Carpenters in the month of madness. and it's january it's 2024 welcome to the new year of hey did you see this one i'm joined as always by my co-host steve waters i am jason r phillips welcome to the show it's jan carpenter presents nope jan carpenters in the month of madness it is a month uh dedicated to the uh auteur uh genre bending uh, director uh, John Carpenter. We do know his name is John and not Jan. We are just being funny and hilarious. Um, that said, we have uh, Ben Mason back on the show. Welcome back, Ben. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, Ben. Welcome back. Welcome. Hello. Hello. If you are somebody who's watched this show uh, in the past, you'll know that one year ago, Ben was on for the Escape From trilogy. And of course, it really is only a, a two movies, and then we sort of posited that 
a sca- uh, uh, Ghost of Myers was supposed to be a Snake Plissken uh, thing at some point, but instead we got was it Ice Cube instead? I think he's sort of the insert for that character, yeah. But no one will ever know. No one will ever know. <laughs> He'll be on his deathbed, like I wanted it to be Kurt Russell the whole time. <laughs> uh, I don't yes. even know if it was him that wanted that, though. <laughs> I, again, we'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, I also hope that's not the sound that Carpenter goes out on. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll go out playing a synthesizer. the The heart monitor will be like a do 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 do. That's Perfect. actually incredible. Love it. Um, this week, uh, this month is special um, because well, Ben, we did it. This is the third time we're doing this now. We didn't have Ben on the first time. Ben got on three times last time. Uh, but now that we're in the guest era, um, you, you're going to have a little bit more room to, you know, tap dance with your shimmy and shake. Shimmy yeah, and we're shake. not going to we're not going to typecast you as the snake Pliskin guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you're the fog guy now. Yeah. Um, but there are some new things that have uh, been added to the show since you were on last. Um, we have a new segment that we've been doing where I put up an image uh, from the poster, and I have people on social media guess. Um, last week, surprisingly, people got it. This week, people got it a little bit easier, uh, but still it was uh, pretty elusive because I think this is one of his lesser-known films or people know the 2006 remake a little bit better. But uh, this is Fan Guessing Game. I forgot there was a remake, so I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Congratulations! You have successfully guessed the correct answer, which is the answer you provided. Congratulations! That's right, World's Fair, man. Uh, Congratulations. The following people got... (laughs) Wow, it was actually only three people that got it right, and one thing that I think that is funny. Uh, Craig Webster, uh, friend of the show, uh, previous guest that just wanted to say, I am Craig Orr, harbinger of podcast hosts, because I learned this week that um, our old co-host, Kalen, we started having guests when he was still on the show, and shortly before he left, Craig was the final guest to be on before we switched over to the new format. He was the first and last guest of uh, of season one, if you will. So that was a fun season thing. one comprised of 100, 100 episodes. episodes. <laughs> it's like Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, Aaron Hurdle, a friend and former guest of the show. I want him. He wanted to shout us out and how proud he is of us. Our ability to dedicate ourselves to our passion is admirable. I just make jokes. Uh, I just make fart jokes. I just go, hey, guys, did you see this one? And every week, and Steve hates it when I use that sound effect, so I like to use it lots. I don't hate it. (laughs) Okay. Maybe maybe in certain capacities I do. (laughs) A hole. Okay. Isn't sorry. that the sound of a silo falling over? It is. Or a water tower? If you're on TikTok, it is. Uh, Michael Nah, um, new friend of the show. He uh, he subscribed to our show last night, I noticed, and he, he likes what we're doing. Uh, he said, be excellent to each other and party on dudes, which I couldn't agree more with. And finally, one funny thing that uh, Jacob, uh, former guest and friend of the show, when I put the picture up, it's what you see behind me. 
Um, but I only put like the part with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's face and like the hand in the smoke. And he said, yeah. "The door that makes you come." Oh, that was no. fan guesses, ladies and gentlemen. Fan guesses. This has been wow. another edition of fan guesses. I don't know if we we're not gonna do the song for it. For he another. also game guessed that same title for Showgirls. <laughs> the door that makes you come. <laughs> um, fantastic. So, before we move on here, I would like to uh, basically just let everybody know that the first 100 episodes are in audio format. Now you can find them on Apple Podcast, Anchor FM, and Spotify. Um, and as of tomorrow, YouTube. I figured out how to put all of the episodes in audio format on YouTube in one fell swoop. So that'll be available. Additionally, you can find all the video episodes on YouTube. Um, they're all up there. Most of them are on Twitch. Just look us up when, like, the Google SEO is not bringing us new people, but you can find all of our stuff out there. This is your call to action. Go subscribe to us at Super at Superkicked. That's a different project that I do. That's different stuff, brother. Um, Hey, did you see this one? At hey, did you see this one? Everywhere around the internet. So, without further ado, let's talk about our uh, brief history, shall we? Our brief histories with the film The Fog. A brief history! That's right. Ah. I can't believe I misspoke <laughs> and talked about... Uh, talked about that um so yes, honestly i used to work at eb games like 10 years ago and sometimes when i pick up my phone i still have the urge to say eb games where you can trade and save steve <laughs> can you help you empire records until midnight yeah yeah um that's a reference to a movie on a movie podcast i love it so yeah. I, it is actually a tradition i haven't made it a tradition it is now officially a tradition for the uh, guest to go first. So, Ben, why don't you tell us about your history with the film The Fog starring fucking Tom Watkins? Atkins? Tom Atkins. <laughs> um, my history with the movie starts with the film novelization, mm. um, which actually has more information than the film itself. So when I watched the movie, I was confused as to why they didn't include some of the info that the, the book had. Um. I'm not a big fan of film novelizations. I mean, like with horror, they're fun because you always get a little bit more than you get into film, like uh, specifically the fog, but like Halloween two and stuff like that. Um, so I don't remember when I first saw the movie. It was definitely after Halloween. And I remember then being kind of bored by it because in a 90 minute film, there's not a whole lot that really happens. Yeah. But when it does, it is more than sufficient. Um, it just took me a long time to go back and revisit it and truly appreciate it for what it is. So for me, for the longest time, this was probably one of the most boring John Carpenter films I had ever watched. And now it's one it's one of my favorite. Mm, interesting. Fantastic. Actually, it's funny that you brought that up. We're going to get into it more in the body. Um, but I basically have very similar thoughts to that but this is one of my favorite john carpenters now <laughs> but uh steve why don't you hit us with your brief history um <clears throat> brief history well one thing i can say is that every time i tell people that the mist is one of my favorite movies ever made they often think that i'm talking about this movie or the remake of this movie and i'm like no 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 not the one with ghost pirates <laughs> i'm talking about the one with monsters that come from planet x or whatever um, but yeah, I don't really remember the first time I watched this. It's similar to, to, um, 
to what you were saying, Ben, where it's, I remember watching a bunch of his movies when I was a teenager, but I didn't really go in any particular order because I wasn't huge into like filmographies at the time, but I was like, Oh, I, I like this director. I guess I'll watch all of his stuff. And I just sort of went through the list of the ones that are the most popular first and then went down, down the list that way. Um, and it took me a while to get to this one. And I don't really have a solid memory of watching it for the first time. Yeah. But uh, like you, this one for a while was very boring to me. As boring as watching fog roll in, I'd say. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that way anymore. Uh, I actually quite like it. And I, did, I didn't really have the most thorough watching of it today, which is unfortunate because I haven't seen it in a while. But um, I was enjoying it and I, I am looking forward to uh, watching it again. Um, yeah. That's as brief as I can get it, I guess. It's pretty brief. Um, that's mm -hmm. great. Uh, Psychra in the chat says, uh, get this hack off your show, which is really funny because isn't that your co-host? <laughs> yeah, uh, it uh, definitely is. Leon made sure to correct him and say, the hacks were on the show, fam. And that's right. We all hacks all the time here on Hating to See This One. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing or talking about, but that we put together this little pod show each and every week, and here we are, and we're doing it. Uh, my history with the show is I watched it yesterday. All right, moving on. Um, I will elaborate a little bit. Uh, I do recall... I mean, that's your experience with most of his movies, I think, so far. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is our third year doing John Carpenter Month, and... Uh... That's a shame. It really yeah, is. It, it's a shame. But I see it is it a shame, but he's watching them now. I'm forcing him to watch all of them, even <laughs> if it takes 10 years. <laughs> I, uh, I'm seeing it through a different lens, though, than I would have probably in different times. Like, I really wish that I had seen uh, uh, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Little Trouble in Big China. I wish I had seen that, like, when Still I... Still not the right title, but yeah. Okay. yeah big we'll Trouble. Little China and Big Trouble. It's like Little works. China, you're in big trouble. <laughs> you're in big trouble, mister. Uh, that is the era when I would have probably enjoyed it the most. I, that, of course, was a reference to Full House. And when I was watching, like, Ninja Turtles 2, like, at that age, I think that movie would have blown my shit. Um, mm -hmm. Watching it now, I still loved it. But I couldn't help but wonder why I didn't just like own it on VH and have the VH copy all distorted and broken from watching it repeatedly. That said, this movie, I kind of remember the remake coming out because it has the What's-Her-Face from Lost in it. And it's around 2006 that that came out. I, don't, I think... don't know if I've seen the remake, to be honest. Yeah, it was uh, 2005. I want to say, oh, I forget the guy's name from uh, Smallville, the lead. Oh, Tom, Tom Wellington. Welling, Wellington. Wellington. Well, sure. Tom Superman. Wellington. Superman Bellington. start. Superman. Uh, I'm actually gonna watch that with uh, Leah, and I are gonna watch that after uh, after recording here tonight. So nice. I'm, no, I'm nice. curious. No spoilers. This fog rolls fog. in, and everybody f falls asleep. Um, <laughs> but there are other movies in this sort of genre that I feel like people get it mixed up with, like The Mist. And mm -hmm. the remake, like I said, and then that ghost ship movie seems like it's might have a similar plot. I don't know. I've never seen it, but I've seen the cover of it and it looks <laughs> oh, like it. You're like, there's yeah. fog on the cover. So therefore. <laughs> and a ship. Uh, yeah. But that's pretty much it for me. So um, the next thing that we've been doing that's new, Ben, and this one's going to be interesting because we're going it, to it's just director talk. We're going to kind of talk about John Carpenter a bit. The, the next okay. couple weeks, though, I might come up with more pointed segments, uh, just be, or we'll keep it brief, just because we're, we are doing a director's month. So mm -hmm. the director segment, um, 
make it a little boring for people who watch every week. But without further ado, this is Director Speak. All right, all right. Quiet on set. Are we rolling? Okay, let's shoot this piece of shit. <laughs> Sound. Speed. Action! Uh, Tom Welling is correct. That is the name of the actor man who plays the Superboy. Perfect. Um, well, John Carpenter, it's John Carpenter Month. What can I say? I've seen at least 10 of his movies, at least 11 of his movies. Um, he's got such hits as Little Trouble in Big China. Um, what say you? Is that, oh, I was like, is that the only other movie you can remember? No, uh, I mean, I, I mean, the Escape movies are great. Ghost of Mars was kind of whatever, but the 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 gems are the genre bender weirdo ones like uh, Prince of Darkness and um, the one where he go the author goes to the town where everybody's trying to eat his it, face in the mouth of madness in the month yeah. of madness. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Set you up for that one, didn't I? Yep, yep. I mean, we're probably going to talk about him quite a bit this month, as we have in the last couple of years. Um, we went, I think it was They Live episode, or, or was that They Live? I can't remember. We went on a, a long rant about John John Carpenter one year. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, in terms of this movie specifically, I know that he was inspired by it via like a trip to Stonehenge that he had taken with his his like writing partner at the time, Deborah Hill, who I believe that yeah. we're also dating. She produced um, this, didn't she? And co-wrote it? Yeah. I think. Co-wrote, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to know if that novelization that you read was written by John Carpenter, if it was like, they just took the script and, and fleshed it out. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe it was. Right. Uh, I think they, they just hired a, another writer to like a ghostwriter. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, that's kind of always fun to learn when you, when you when you learn about how these sort of weirdo projects come in right where it's like okay what's the simple idea is a fog rolls in and what if something comes in with the fog that's really cool and uh i assume in a place like stonehenge seeing a big thick fog rolling in over the countryside would be pretty uh pretty eerie to look at <laughs> pretty sure your first reaction is like Oh, we're all dead. Yeah, well, that fog is going to kill us. We're not, we're not getting out of here. Special yeah. effects wise, in 1980, I, I imagine like the the shots of the beach, which I want to talk about the fucking cinematography of like the landscape during the body of the episode. But the special effects for the fog rolling in and the fact they keep talking about it glowing was a really cool way for them to be able to do this like superimposed fog effect. And then <laughs> all of the weird little. Like, he's got an eye for, like, reversing things, so it just looks weird and spooky. And yep. and the fog never felt... Like, the, like I know it's cheesy to say, like, oh, the city was, like, a character, but the fog actually felt like a character in this movie. And you knew that it was unpredictable, and he made it that way. Like, John Carpenter just has this amazing way to turn a low-budget sort of vibe into something a lot bigger and better. Like, look at Halloween. Like, the original Halloween movie is, like like a mind prison for many kids of that era and, and, and later. Right. Um, uh, spoiler alert. I like this better than Halloween. Um, we'll get to the, yeah, that's right. I said it, I said it here to two Halloween fans. Um, but at, that's that, fine. That. You're allowed to like whatever you like, Jason. <laughs> and it's not going to, it's not going to severely piss me off. It might severely piss Ben off because I know yeah. how he feels about the first Halloween. <laughs> I mean, I can I can see we've had this conversation in the past. I can see why watching Halloween for the first time 
in your middle of your 30s would not be as exciting as you know watching one of the halloween remakes or something because they're visually more like i don't know they get they 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 do the thing where it's like everything has to be smeared in like gloss to make it look good or whatever right mm -hmm. whereas the old movies can be difficult to watch and the pacing is way different now in horror movies than it was in his heyday including this movie and it, you know it is technically a horror movie but doesn't feel that way entirely throughout his whole style with the changing genres and stuff this movie is a more standard horror in my opinion especially after watching stay alive last week which is pretty much by the numbers horror with just like a gimmick. Um, this one feels a lot more in, it, it only feels like a single genre thing. The difference is, is he doesn't succumb to all the tropes. He shows the gore and sometimes cuts away. He, he manages to just give an eerie vibe of just showing an, an empty room or like a liminal space, you know, just down a road with some fog. Like I was like, I don't know why I'm so unsettled by this. Probably his score that he also did himself. He did the yeah. music for this film as well. So well, that's why I think that's why we love him so much on this show is because he's not just sort of a, a gun for hire director for the most part. It's like each project is a part of him and he creates them from the ground up. Right. So he's, he's writing the story. He's, he's heavily involved with the casting uh, he does the music and he knows exactly what kind of music he wants to make for these, even though like his music can be samey. I love it so much <laughs> that recording that I, we played at the beginning of this episode, I was like, I need to find the most John Carpenter music I can find without us getting without hit by John, John Carpenter himself <laughs> being like, you can't use my music. John Carpenter well, just busting through the door and being like, stop yeah. that. Speaking of the music, you have to admit that the, the main theme for the fog is very similar to Halloween. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I made a note about that. <laughs> That's when but I was like, I like this movie better. In fact, it's just different enough to be, I think, I think it is the music to this is better than Halloween. It's just not as iconic. Yeah. yeah I think absolutely. Halloween, the Halloween theme kind of lives in everyone's minds. Yeah. It's one of those ones like Star Wars or something where you could play it on a piano and people will Im immediately recognize what it is. Some people even just connect that theme to ha Halloween, the holiday, yeah. not yeah. the movie, you know, like I but, had a kiss. But, Sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, the one thing that really catches me off guard about this film and no one ever brings it up. This is his only ghost movie. It is a perfect ghost film. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the ghosts don't take the forefront. It's the characters trying to figure out what's going on. And the ghosts are the ones that carry the plot along without demanding your attention the entire time. Yeah, not even the movie Ghosts of Mars has ghosts <laughs> no, in it. It's, it's right? Weird, <laughs> weird cannibalistic alien weirdos. Yeah. Cool. But well, it, it it's just a fantastic ghost film. Um, we, we don't really get those that often. Yeah, it, and I mean, there's something scary about fog, like just in general yeah. fog. You can't stop fog. What are you going to do? Get a big fan? I don't think so. <laughs> Not going to work. Yeah. Be able to living, display some of it. Living on the East Coast of Canada. Right. Living on the ocean. There are times where the fog is so thick, you can't see 30 feet in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there, there's no idea what's what's happening on the other side. Obviously nothing. <laughs> but if you want to live in a, a horror-filled world, not knowing what's 
30 feet in front of you is terrifying. And it is, yeah. they pulled that off in this movie perfectly. Yeah. I like... love fog though. I love it so much. It's such a good, like I get excited when fog happens in real life. I'm like, Ooh, fog. <laughs> so happy. Ben grew up in Tantala, Nova Scotia. So like, that's like, that's like fog like Every... in this movie. Right. Like every day there's just a huge cloud of fog. You can actually see it roll around. in like the way you'd see it roll in in this movie. It's like the yeah, fog right. wall or whatever they whatever they call it. Like that's a Yeah. I grew up on the shoreline of the ocean in St. Margaret's Bay. So you could see some pretty crazy things happen. Like you you see this fog wall roll in and then you hear a whale in the distance and you're <laughs> like that that's a, that's a that's a monster coming for all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's more like the mist. And we're talking about the fog. Um, Sorry, you can hear the pirates screaming. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yar! Yar! <laughs> uh, before we move to the body here, um, we're going we're gonna to talk at length uh, about John Carpenter all month. It will probably circle back to his ability to direct the shit out of anything he puts his hands on. At the end of the episode, stay tuned. We're going to have a, we have a little, uh, Steve put together a little video that's been up on our YouTube page, but I'd like to play it at the end of every episode so people can see us gush about him even, even further. Um, and also to answer your guys' question about who wrote the novelization, it was uh, somebody by the name of Dan Etchison, mercenary mm. horror and sci-fi uh, author, Pen for Hire. Very says good. Noel in the chat. But with that, how about you guys? How about do you guys want to look at a sweet body? Let's do it. Yeah. Ho, 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 ho. Everybody back up because here comes the body of the episode. This is, of course, the body of the episode where we talk freeform about the film at large. This is basically the podcast segment of the podcast. Um, it's all the podcast. All of it is the podcast. None of it is the podcast. It's time is a flat circle. This is going great. We're gonna mm-hmm. be here. We're gonna be here. We're gonna get her done. I have probably the Jason least... always complains about the length of the episode, but then he'll go on like a rant like that. <laughs> <laughs> just take up, just just waste air for thirty seconds. Yeah. But uh, I tried to take less notes than I normally do. Also, the runtime of this movie is like eighty nine minutes, so it's it's content. It's both content dense and content light, and I say that because content dense wise, there's a there's no wasted movement. Lacking content in that, there's a lot of people like looking at fog. <laughs> yep. So it depends on how you look at it. Um, basically, we start the movie off, and I'm immediately going to do this because this I couldn't believe this happened. I think this is the first time this has ever happened to us. That's when they said the name of the movie in the movie. We get a title drop in this movie from the old the old man says that says the fog at one minute and fifty five seconds. I believe this is like last week with Stay Alive where they say the name of the movie about seven thousand times. Yeah. But, I mean, in a movie about fog, where there's fog everywhere, and it's called the fog, you're you're no doubt going to hear the words the fog a lot. So I didn't, the fog is coming for you. I didn't keep track, but I would ra- I would venture to bet bet that they said the fog in every every scene, yeah. sometimes multiple times. Um, we also get the uh, he's telling a story to a group of kids um, at Spivey Point. A ship a, a ship was uh, cruising along, um, and essentially. 
Steve, why don't you recap the story from the beginning of the movie? Because I'm blanking on the specifics. Uh, of the whole movie? No, no, no. I have like the... Of like what ha- what the, what what the ghost story is? I wrote down. He's, he's basically twenty first tell- of April. Spivey point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's basically it's just you know a ghost story being told by uh, like a sea captain kind of you know where he's got his his captain's hat on. They're around a fire and he's just recapping the story of um, a ship that sank and the the souls the lost right. souls yeah. would would come in on the fog and murder everybody. Basically, what happens in the movie. He's basically telling you us what's going to happen in the movie. He's spoiling the movie for us. That's when he said the movie in the movie. Yeah. Um, Noel in the chat, well, is, I mean, are there spoilers? Yes, there will be spoilers. I mean, this is just one of many reshoots or additional shooting they had to do. Yeah, it feels because... like it, but I don't understand why. I guess maybe people were confused as to what why they were coming from they they're like well where why why are there ghosts yeah. coming and it's like okay well here's an old man telling you a story but it's like you could just figure that out yeah that's why i got mixed up because i forgot he's just telling the original ghost story that tells us what's going to happen i got messed up in yeah. the specifics because when when the father gets the book and he's reading it that's when we find out the why of it all so yeah, yeah. right so the fog comes in wreaks havoc um the the dead's gonna rise is basically what he says. If I would have just read one more line of my notes, <laughs> uh, so the actor playing the old man, I thought it was Donald Pleasance for a second, but it's not, right? Like it just looks and sounds like him. Is it John Carpenter? Donald Pleasance is like, it's not John Carpenter. John, John Carpenter Car- is in the movie though, He's playing the guy telling the story. Yeah, it's John Houseman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I was like, I, I had just watched, um, well, I've been editing like all day and I'm sort of just staring at Donald Pleasance's face because he's in like every early Carpenter movie. Pretty much. Um, and I was like, is it him? He's just wearing a captain's hat and he has a beard? <laughs> but I was wrong. So I was looking for this movie and this brings us to the the shot of like the title, the title shot, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really good shot of like that that rolling beach you get. I got kind of Jaws vibes from this movie a little bit at times. Definitely, yeah. Um, but when the fog pops up on the screen and you get the the beach in the background and the word the fog, it's captivating. But something interesting that happened to me when I was looking for this movie, I ended up renting it um, off like Google or or Prime or something. But um, I found a YouTube version of it of the movie, but it mm. was just it was two hours of just that shot. Oh. <laughs> Just, I don't know if it was repeating. It looked like they had like made it themselves, but it was exactly the same. Anyway, um, I'll never forget that. And it was two hours and nine minutes long. And if you know, forty minutes longer than the movie. Exactly. And I kept, I kept scrubbing through to be like, does the movie start somewhere in here? No, it never did. Sifting through the fog. Then then he just went back and watched the whole thing. Yeah, Yeah. just to make sure. I highly recommend anybody who um, has seen the movie and likes it or hasn't seen it and they're curious, uh, pick up the the Scream Factory Blu-ray. The transfer is amazing and the special features are phenomenal. It is definitely worth the purchase. Well, I was going to say, I think that's the version that is on Amazon to to rent because although it didn't have the Shout Factory logo at the end in the credits, which it usually does, but the transfer of that 
HD copy was fucking phenomenal. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it now. I was going to mention it when we got into it a bit, but if they didn't talk that the way that like, if they didn't speak the way they spoke in this movie, like that, like eighties, seventies, like they all kind of talk like a, almost a transatlantic, like old acting. Um, it, uh, <laughs> acting, acting, uh, there is a lot of that in this movie too. Like I am yeah. saying my lines as an actor. Uh, the thing that I noticed is it it could be a period piece made in the '90s to be the '80s or or later even. It, like it it was that crisp, and that's rare yeah. because I've watched. I we watched <laughs> once again Stay Alive last week, and I watched a DVD rip, and it looked like ass. Like well, that ass. yeah, that was just a bad, 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 bad. Also, those movies are, fought, are are shot digitally, so transfers don't look as nice as film transfers do. Well, look at Twenty Eight Days Later, the worst Blu-ray transfer you will ever see. Uh, yeah, and th- but that was shot on video, I think too. It wasn't even it was, shot uh, digital. It was on a Sony Red. It was was digital, I believe, but okay. like it's terrible, absolutely yeah. terrible. I watched Twenty Eight Days Later on, um, I think Netflix, and it was just fine though. Hmm. Mm. Was it? <laughs> was it really? I have it on Blu-ray, and it even looks like ass. Yeah. But you were you were talking about how crisp everything looked. Um, we we have to mention the fact that Dean Cundey, yeah, is a cinematographer on this movie, mm-hmm. and you look at all of the work he's done with Carpenter, uh, Jason. All all of the the movies that we've covered of his that you say look beautiful were all done by the same cinematographer. Oh, okay. So yeah. I he mean, knows how to he knows how to light stuff really well. Exactly. Yeah. And uh and he also just framing is great. He this movie the the storytelling visually is so great. If you, from even just like the drop um when the priest, you know, closes the door and we pan over and we see the shadow of him taking a sip of the the wine and you know, does it make sense logically? No. But does it look sick? Yes. Another also... another scene like that is when he appears out of the shadow just like mm-hmm. seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. But even the, even the shot of Stevie walking down the stairs or the steps toward the the lighthouse, mm-hmm. uh, you could just pause that and like that would be the perfect desktop wallpaper. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and when she's driving, he's a up, master. She's driving up and around, and you see the ocean yeah. in the background, just like rolling green fields and hills. Like this, this is like it, it, watching a shitty version of this wouldn't do that justice. It's a rare time when watching like a upscaled later, like you know, HD uh, remaster or you know transfer that lets those things pop, lets the colors pop. Here's the thing that I've noticed about TV and film: a lot of the time, they're like, "It's so hot out today, it's blistering." You know, the sun's out and we're all sweating, and then it looks dark. Like it's like it looks like a it looks overcast. This is one of the few films I've seen recently where. It's daytime, it's sunny, and it looks sunny in the daytime. I find there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of movies. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that's my personal opinion. It's a TV thing mostly. I feel like people who make movies know how to you know, make a daytime shot and a nighttime shot, unless it's an old Western where the nighttime just has that filter. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's day a lot of night. movies yeah, where they have to shoot day for night, and it, rarely does it look good. Um, there are movies where more recently, actually, nope, they do a lot of day for night and it actually looks quite good. It and, does. And You're right. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of did a little bit of a dive on that to, to, to check, um, 
if they they had even done it because i was like it, it feels like that what they're accomplishing in terms of visuals for nope would be impossible to do if they shot at night without like having generators in the middle of the desert like and shooting something that's a mile away um and it, it stylistically looks good but yeah it rarely do you find day for night that uh it looks another 20 weeks later there's a whole sequence that's day for night and it looks like shit terrible that movie looked that movie looked bad i watched the two of them like back to back in the summer and the second one i was going this is the same universe anyway well, it wasn't directed by the same person no, and i don't think the same cinematographer was working on it but yeah. the the opening of that movie looks and feels a lot like uh the no, first no. one and it's because it's direct the, that opening sequence is directed by uh what's danny his name? boyle danny boyle yeah it's interesting you brought up uh, Nope because I think Jordan Peele, once all said and done, after he has ten movies under his belt, he might be a similar to John. He's Krasinski. he's got a Carpenter vibe, man. He's he's on he, his way. The way he sees things, the way he films things, the way he tells stories, and then he'll go put his name on something that he believes in, and it's kind of like John Carpenter doing that. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 they have the same vibe, like that one that anthology with the three movies that you said he just kind of does the interstitials for. Those all Body kind bags. of. Yeah, those all kind of look like, you know, he handpicked those because they're in the same, same. Book. Yeah, and I think that there was a time where he just really loved filmmaking, and you know, the creative process of all of it from beginning to end, he was he loved doing it, and it's unfortunate that he kind of got bashed in, his head got bashed in by the the studio system, right? It's an interesting comparison to to Peel, because I feel like Carpenter, he he had so many good films that weren't acknowledged as good films until later in his career. Mm-hmm. Whereas Peel, a similar filmmaker got immediate praise until he did something that didn't really hit as hard as his previous films. Like we'll talk even twilight zone mm-hmm. and that I would argue tanked his career already. I mean, we'll see. I think that Nope had a really good, um recession or not recession <laughs> what's the word reception reception <laughs> um uh and it kind of it almost um canceled out the the aura reception for the twilight zone television show um, i hope so I, yeah. I really do i don't think that everybody le- loved it as much as get out and us and but i mean even us had kind of mixed yeah and middling reviews here and there I didn't like I'm, us I that am much. not a fan. Yeah. Not I didn't a fan like of us. That much after I liked Ice Us quite so a bit, good. actually. I get well, why. It's fucking weird and different. It's a different movie. <laughs> yeah. I just like the nightmarish qualities of it that like logically again, nothing makes sense in that movie, but the the creepiness is what I uh, I enjoy about it. Okay, I'm I'm glad you said that because yes, it is very creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh it is a very fun watch, but if you start analyzing the film, us is filled with so many plot holes that the entire narrative falls apart immediately. So what are, what are we left with? Yeah. A nonsensical story that looks really good. I think so. But I I think it's also, it's like meant to have this like dreamlike quality to it where you're like this, none of this makes sense, but is it meant to? And like, do you want it to? I, I don't, I don't personally think that anything really needed to make sense. And it almost had a mouth of madness sort of feel to it where there's these things going on that are are seemingly absolutely impossible logically, but they're still happening and you accept them within the context of the the framework of the movie. Um, Yeah. I can definitely give you that one for sure. Yeah. 
I, I mean, again, it's I don't think it's perfect, but I, I do. I like it. And I have, I've watched it a couple of times because I think the performances are really good. And I think the cinematography is excellent. And I also really like the art design in that movie. Also, um, it is beautiful. Also, putting yeah. Tim Heidecker in a movie like that and letting him just do his thing is great. Because I think he's a he he's an underrated, serious actor because his style of comedy is like so deadpan and so anti-comedy that he circles back around to being like a, a really good actor in a way. And uh, he only has a couple serious roles. And in both of them, he kind of plays this like loudmouth kind of, uh, there's a movie that he's in called hipster. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's called something like that hipster where he just plays like an, like a 45 year old guy who's like rich and like basically lives at home still and it's a similar character to the to in us where he's just like this dickhead but it's it's played in this way that just you want to see him get murdered <laughs> you know what i mean well so, by, to by the fog yeah yeah by the fog so um well, if you want to see him get murdered you get to see him get murdered twice in us yeah <laughs> <laughs> so this movie um feels like a john carpenter immediately when they go into the the dark church, the groundskeeper guy who looks like he's forty-five, but he's probably twenty-three because of the way people aged in the in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And basically, he's like, "Yo, um, I need you to pay me for this job." And uh, the the father is basically just like he's having a sip of wine. He can tell that he has no money. And he's kind of they never really explore the drinking thing. I thought they were going to. I thought he was going to be like more of a villain, um, but he ends up kind of being the hero, sort sort of. Uh, I I think it's insane how much like drinking and driving there is in this movie and like and even the priest is like an advocate they're like John Carpenter's about to leave and he's like you want something for the road to keep you warm it's like you're just this, this guy is wine. oh that was John Carpenter the groundskeeper yeah okay this is a, a movie set on the west coast with east coast attitudes <laughs> yeah and I have to say like and you're right Jason like pe- people that live along a coastline they age the same way the cars rust real <laughs> yeah. fast. Yeah. Cause everybody's drinking all day long and smoking the entire time. <laughs> yeah. While the seawater just like, and the, the salty air. Yeah. Rots yeah. Like from stripping the... paint off of a boat. Have you ever been to Yarmouth? You're born 55. <laughs> Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Um, yeah, we get a great, so there's a, there's a few like jump scares in this and, and I'm going to keep bringing up, stay alive just because it's so like so fresh in my head and there's some parallels between the two movies as far as horror movie making goes but that movie stay alive just had dumb jump scares where it's just like Fran! like basically going like this to you and yeah. this movie is has some expert jump scares obviously the body it has earned too. jump scares yeah like the there's nothing worse than just jump jump after jump after jump without it being this in one, any way built up towards or earned in any way this one i find it to be very special because he walks into a room and a rock falls off the wall and the radio turns on and his and his he drops his wine. So it's like three things happen all at the same time. And then while he's noticing that there's something in the wall, which is, turns out to be the, like the book that has the story of, of the diary of why this is all happening, um, the radio's playing. And that's another thing that I love about this movie. The weird like narration by Stevie throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. in the first half, obviously it's she's in the background, just the smooth sounds of the lighthouse radio. Everybody's so horny for, her, uh, which I also thought was super funny. Um, but that is so unique 
that might I might consider that to be like the John Carpenter of it all for this movie. Maybe that's a new segment. Um, but the the fact you don't see that in movies where a character is the main character. She's like top build for the movie. I'm pretty sure, right? Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. yeah. She's not. Uh, she's like her debut, I believe. Yeah, she's not in the movie like that much, really. Um, but she is in the, every scene pretty much because the radio is always playing. The radio as a character is an interesting concept, which John Carpenter must have got, must have said to himself, that's never been done before. Why don't I try that? And it worked, I thought. What, what else really worked? And you, you brought this up and didn't address it. Uh, you're talking about how successful uh, the jump scares were. Um, normally, a jump scare is accompanied by a, a shrill... Uh, spike in music um, with the the trifecta jump scare that you just talked about all of the audio used in that was actually the sounds of what was happening on the screen yeah and, then and the, that the, made it much more effective and then the payoff of it the like moment after where you're reeling is just like smooth jazz and it's like that I don't know it's Sometimes people attempt things like that, and it just falls flat on its face. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'll bring up Stay Alive for that sort of thing. And a myriad, even some of the grimoire movies that we've done have, like, even Friday the 13th and Freddy Krueger, they all have these, like, attempts at things sometimes that just don't work. Obviously, they have great moments. Jason throws a guy through a window, and it's pure chaos and one of the best things I've ever seen in a movie. But, you know, sometimes it's just, you know... Jason just picks you up by the head and throws you and stabs you. You know what I mean? Like it's not effective. Or punches the head clean off. Yeah, that's coming, isn't it? Has that happened already? I think that's in uh, Jason Takes Eight. Manhattan. Yeah. Okay. And then he plays basketball at the head, I think. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. kind of, but no. <laughs> and he punches it off a roof and it falls in a garbage can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Adrian Barbeau was married to John Carpenter for a bit too, just in case anybody wanted to know. Yeah, they were together during the making of this movie, which I find really weird. If if this was before, I think this was after he and Deborah Hill were together and broke up. Yeah, I think there was probably some stuff going on. They were having some, weird. There was they, definitely some drama. No, they were having yeah. weird '70s sex parties and cocaine '80s parties. '70s sex parties in the uh, in the lighthouse yeah, radio station. Yeah. yeah. The lighthouse is what just what the sex club was called. <laughs> that's what that's what it was called in Halifax. It's true. The lighthouse. It was a strip club. I never got to go. I was too young. But my dad talks about it all the time. The father, um, I forget what his name is. I have it written down later. He uh, Pat, uh, Patrick Malone. Yeah, Father Malone, played by Hal Holbrook. I was going to ask you guys. Um, that guy looks familiar. Would I know him from anything? I mean, he's been in so many films. 70s, 80s character actor kind of guy? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He Um, plays drunk priest in this movie. (laughs) In every movie, he was typecast as a drunk (laughs) priest, which is something I I mean, he does a good job. At one point, I was like, is this guy actually drunk? Is is that that real wine? Well, it's true, because when... When the groundskeeper's like, can I get paid? He's like, what? Well, first he's like, come in for six tomorrow. Yeah, maybe you just take a couple hours out tomorrow. That's how I'll Stop be. asking me questions. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's right. So that's right. We get the book. Um, 
we get the the, the I think the reveal that the, the he mentions in the book that it happened in 1880, which is 100 years to the day, or to the whatever. Yeah. They don't really say to the day, but it's implied. Uh, also, people love 100 years. People love just 100 years later. The thing is happening again. Um, that's a that's definitely a trope. The, it's enough time to have passed that likelihood of anybody have being alive during both is right. zero. Exactly. And then what I notice at this point that I kind of like wasn't focused in on, but all this stuff is happening while the while the credits are just appearing at the bottom. And I have a rich history yep. of hating when they stop everything to do a bad credit like bad opening credits. Um, which is a the style of this time, you know. But John Carpenter once again is like people People will see the names at the bottom. That's good enough. Let's let's keep it moving. Um, so I liked that because I didn't even think about it until I realized. And uh, then all the payphones go crazy. That's a thing in this movie that I was kind of like, the 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 foreshadowing, coming from, the cars, the car horns going off, the phones ringing, random glass shattering. It, that kind of built a tension that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and it it is quite good, but I have to say the the physical effects of the presence of the fog are very fragmented when it comes to the storytelling, because that that has really nothing to do with the story. The story is the ghosts and how they interact with the people. Six must die. Um, there there is nothing to tell us that the physical manifestation of a ghost making a phone ring plays any importance whatsoever. We have windows shattering, which are, it's a fantastic effect, especially in the, the truck with, uh, with um, Nick and Elizabeth, um, which honestly makes no sense. Yeah. I'll talk but, about that when we get to that. <laughs> yeah. But that the phone's ringing, like, yeah, things are exploding. It's never really referenced. It's never addressed. It just happens. And then ghosts. I think it might be an implication of poltergeists are already there, and the poltergeists are maybe the harbinger. I think the, I think the story needed a little bit more room to breathe for certain mm-hmm. elements. Yeah, um, the way I read it was like the thicker the the thicker the fog, the more that these things are able to manifest themselves. So like, yeah. if the fog isn't there yet. There might be a, a, a light mist, and the thicker the fog, the bigger the hog. The movie itself is fantastic, but a third of it is that's no, fine. A third of it is all reshoots, right? Because Carpenter hated what the final project was, and he 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 was embarrassed by it. So they did reshoots, and then yeah, a third of the movie is new stuff. So I'm wondering if that's some of this, like the telephone booth, the the shattered window, something like that, to just kind of flesh out the power that this supernatural entity really has it, yeah it's a bit of the disjointedness of prince of darkness um where it's yeah that's just a very kinda, good point kind of weird just like weird for the sake of weird but since you know where you are and what you're watching you i forgive it and i bet people at the time were a little bit less forgiving like i don't know if there were real movie reviewers outside of like siskel and ebert but like people watching the movie and then discussing it were probably like that what, what why was that happening you know yeah yeah i always think i always wonder what it was like writing about all these new crazy movies like like reimagining what cinema could be around the the turn of the the 70s and 80s because that's where a lot of the the way movies are made 
now it's like the blockbuster comes from that era right so it's mm. it's interesting to wonder what the pundits if you will said about the the b movies because obviously like this is probably like the kind of movie you took your your sweetheart to at the drive-in you know that's the vibe i got you know yeah you, you you're not really paying attention you're you know doing a little bit of the old spoocherouskis and i could see john carpenter being a nightmare on set a little bit shooting a whole bit and then being like no no throw that out we gotta redo it they're like what are you talking about we just spent x amount of money on he's like well this it looks like shit and i'm john carpenter i'm not john carpenter yet (laughs) but i will be very soon that's a thing yeah (laughs) so i always wonder about that but this you're, you're right about the disjointedness of the the fog and the rules stay alive we talked about the rules a lot and the rules of this change very drastically from feels like there's poltergeist like Steve you said it's like the thickness of the fog and then once the fog comes it's like do the ghosts travel as fog in the fog and then materialize or is the fro- the fog just shrouding them and there's so many of them that they're everywhere there's that really tense scene where she's trying to get the car out of the mud and then they keep looking at the window cuz obviously and they and right before that they like run around the truck and they're looking around and it's like can can't these just can't these ghosts just manifest themselves wherever they want to be i do understand it's a movie so you have to build tension but you know theater of the mind plays a large role in watching a movie like this it's the whole point of why we get scared when we're watching a film so you have your mind starts to wander and then when you have it's been 40 years since this movie came out more than that so we've seen a lot of things that make more sense but I think that's why we are able to have a discussion like this about it. Yeah, it's yeah, also it's... these types of movies are fun to speculate on those who as well, right? Like when it, a movie like Stay Alive absolutely needs to have rules in order for you to understand what's going on. Whereas a movie like this, the mystery about what the rules are is also part of the fun of, of watching it, right? Um, I think that that's kind of where Stay Alive fell apart for me, whereas something like this doesn't is because the rules are established and then they start breaking the rules every five seconds where you're like, okay. Whereas this movie, you're sort of discovering the rules as you go along. Yeah. But it's also a film where not a lot happens and you're captivated the entire time. Whereas Stay Alive, there's so much going on that they have to end up contradicting themselves just to carry the story over. <laughs> and you're like, by the end, you're like, I don't care. Yeah. Here you're like, I, I just, I, I, I'm unnerved. Like this, this is impressive. Like this is, a great film yeah the, the man it immediately goes to the, the the kid the store clerk closing down i thought it was really funny that he just grabs an orange juice off the the shelf and takes a sip and then puts it back like just glass bottles of orange juice with no seal <laughs> mm-hmm. different yeah. time different time um and, you know, the bottles are clacking around and we get a shot of this is when I started to think about Jaws because they do show like a shark's jaw that's hanging and it yep. kind of falls down. And the, the the horns are honking, I think, at this point. And the the gas uh, price is going up and then like a car on a mechanic lift just goes up on its own. These are just sort of the spooky things that are happening at this time. Um. So this is when we get introduced to Tom Atkins and he's once again here 
to steal yo girl. I don't know who keeps putting him in movies where he fucks a lot, but this, uh, yeah. this... apparently he was a very desirable man in this era because this is like one of I think three or four Carpenter Halloween ad- either three. Carpenter or Car- Carpenter adjacent projects. Yeah, he's a ladies' man and an adulterer. Yeah. And then in Escape from New York, he's like the quest giver. Yes. Tom Atkins in this movie, Nick Castle, also the name of the actor who played Michael Myers in Halloween. uh, They do that a lot with this movie, using those names. I have a theory Uh, corner, so we'll get to that. It just picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, Elizabeth, the hitchhiker. Next scene, we see the men, they're already in bed. They'd be bangs there, because yeah. he's yeah. quirky. Um, mm. Listen, Tom Atkins looks like a shaved Weird. yeti. He doesn't look like <laughs> a shaved yeti. Well, maybe. Jason, you're so rude. No, I, I thought that would be funny to say, because I think that uh, Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Green looks like a shaved ape. I think Tom Atkins looks like a shaved. But, you know, the difference between those two people is one of them's a horrible person who I don't mind you calling a a shaved ape. And the other person doesn't, I don't think has been canceled in any capacity. No, I'm sorry. Tom Atkins slash Tom Watkins, who I've written down that name all through my notes. (laughs) (laughs) It it really is seeing him without a mustache though. It's really weird. I think that's what it is. I can see he's got that seventies guy vibe anyway. Like he, 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 he is rough looking but he does have a very like prominent jaw he's not a bad looking guy really he's just unique looking i think he's got a great attitude a solid jawline and a good voice he's kind of a perfect he's perfect for 1980s horror films he's kind of a he's kind of a willem dafoe i guess facially (laughs) facially (laughs) what so you're saying he's ugly is what you're saying no like he's distinct he's probably got a fucking no, I don't think him. Willem Dafoe is ugly either. I think that he's just interesting looking. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I'm sorry, Tom Atkins. I know you're a big fan of the show. I don't think you, you look like a shaved Yeti. I just wanted to say that because it, it's very funny <laughs> to me. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Fuck You Girl comes and uh, bangs Jamie Lee Curtis. And that's why we're going to we're gonna get to a little bit of a, an early... Uh, we're going to get to a little bit of an early... Where the fuck is it? Theory. I have a theory about it's it's a larger theory, kind of like the Ghosts of Mars thing. Um, I can see a lot of parallels and a lot of uh, a lot of reason to believe that this is actually Halloween three. Oh, would you like me to elaborate? Um, yeah. First of all, Jamie Lee Curtis's character says that she's been kind of on the run for a while. Um, she's hitchhiked 13 times or whatever after uh, what's the character's name from Halloween? What's her name? Laurie Strode. Yeah. After Laurie, she leaves, she's not in Halloween four and she's just been gone. Right. Three either. Yeah. But three is a different, this is put this movie instead of three. It also works for the like anthology thing. Now. Also technically she is in three. (laughs) Oh, calm down. Just because of a clip on TV. And she's yeah. also the voice of like the the announcements at the oh, Shamrock right. uh, thing. This is just for fun. I'm just doing this for fun because I like it. She she sort of brings on Michael Myers to be the killer that he is, and then in this she shows up in this town. She tells Tom Atkins that she, you know, bad luck sort of follows her around, and then immediately bad things start happening. I know that it's based off this like old like uh, pirate's tale. This old. 
sea captain tale about the gold and stuff, which we'll talk about. But then the guy who comes out of the ocean, like the leader of the like sea people, he moves very slow. He's very tall. He's very brooding. You never Aquaman. really, you never really see his face. It's played by Jason Momoa. And it's, uh, <laughs> and that is C. Michael Myers, Ocean Michael Myers. Okay. Okay. This is your theory. <laughs> this is my. <clears throat> listen, I haven't done a, I haven't done a bong thoughts for my dream journal in a while. Okay. <laughs> Style okay. of theory. Um, it's also the uh, the special effects guy, yeah. Oh, is it? Rob Botin did oh. all the effects for like the thing and everything like that. Yeah, he plays Blake, the the main pirate guy. I wish we main pirate seen... leper. I wish we would have yeah. seen more of his face. We only really get a good look at it for like a like a two seconds at the yeah. end. I feel like you feel that way, but then if they showed it too much, you'd be like, "Oh, they showed too much of that face." <laughs> That's kind of how I felt in Prince of Darkness, where they keep showing that oozy face lady, and I'm like, "All right, all right, we get it. She's she's full of pus." I don't need to see any more goop lady. So, well, um, you know, that's nonsense. I feel like it might have been a Ghosts of Mars situation where John Carpenter mm-hmm. had all these ideas swirling. And then he's like, I can't just make Ocean Michael Myers. I got to make a new thing. But there's well, a I lot mean, of... this feels like it could have been one of those when they started to try and make Halloween into anthology movies, this could have been one of the Halloween movies, you know, it that's could have been why I even brought it up because I Halloween like, for the fog. Yeah, exactly. That's why I brought it up because if it was, if it did turn anthology, this would have just, just call this, like you said, Hall of yeah. Halloween four, and it would have been fine. And people yeah. would have been speculating for the last 40 years that this is Michael. This is also Michael Myers, or this would have been around the same time as like, Halloween two, right? Um, this what movie I thought Halloween came one out. Is yeah, about the same. Yeah, this is nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah, it came out quite close to uh to the first Halloween. Should be the same. Anyway, so all... the first Halloween is 78. 78, 78 yeah. yeah. All I did with that was I. Like, it was meant to be thought provoking. I just thought it was interesting that the when they find the the leader of the like pirates from the ocean was very Michael Myersy. It's got they mm. even got to like like Ben when you said that the score is basically Halloween. It's yep. a little bit more than that. I think it goes dang it like that much of the Halloween. <laughs> theme makes it I mean the Halloween season of the witch the music in that is not the classic Halloween music either and it feels very much I think he was just really kind of working in a yeah. specific vein for his horror his horror themes okay well thanks for shooting me right down <laughs> <laughs> well you know Halloween 6 colon the thing right <laughs> Halloween 7 in little China it's just Michael Myers except it's from space and it's an alien. <laughs> yep. Michael Myers versus Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Versus Ash. Versus Ash. Versus yeah. Predator. Versus Terminator. Versus the Ninja Turtles. Versus, versus Robocop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So I kind of mentioned what she says in my little theory corner there where she's hitchhiked a bunch. And then the windows explode. And then that's when I came up with my theme and then this theme of this trope through this movie of these things happening and they cut to a scene and they just move on happens a couple times. They didn't 
I was shocked that the next time we see Steve and Elizabeth to the point that I had to rewind and be like, they're not going to talk about that. They mention it later, but like that happens. And then we just go to, we just go to Stevie and she's the local radio woman and her voice is great. She's great. She's a good character. She's also got investment in outside of herself, which not all the other characters do. Yeah. Just also her child. iconic in the fact that the the character was basically rehashed in Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. <laughs> which plays a character that plays through like both seasons as the, the radio DJ that her, her voice ties the plot together in every episode. I think that's really cool. A, a really deep dig for people that haven't seen the fog so like the people who made that show really knew their horror and 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 did a, a great job because that that is such an interesting idea that uh a voice is what links stories together as opposed to their physical presence it's a shame though john carpenter didn't get to know pan greer until later on in his career because it would have been great right? if she was the radio host yeah she would have been amazing for that and uh that's a good point because the uh, Sandy and like the mayor or the counselor woman are kind of like lame characters that are, that ended up just being used as part of the six. Yeah. Sandy and Kathy. Yeah. Kathy. Is, what, she's the mayor or is she, they said counselor at one point, but I, I didn't yeah. end up catching what she was. She's in town for the weird ceremony. Yeah. Played by Janet Lee. Who's Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That, and was like in Psycho, killed in the shower in Psycho. That's killed in the shower in Psycho. Yeah, man. Film history. Car- Carpenter knew what he was doing when he was cast. Well, he didn't cast the movie, but he obviously he knew who he wanted. Listen, I uh, I'm learning um, a lot over the last couple of years. If uh, even though we uh, you know we got a, we got a few people watching here and there, but. My brain is filling with information. I wouldn't have known that the woman in Psycho who died, who famously, iconically gets murdered in the shower would was Jamie Lee Curtis's mom until recently. And then the fact that this film puts them together in the same film and they barely interact. Yeah. That's good Just shit. like in uh, Halloween H2O, same thing. Oh, they get back, the, she's in that as well? This movie could have been called Halloween H2O. Uh, sure. Because fog is it's water. Made up of water droplets. <laughs> That's fog, brother. There will oh be no ice, but fog is water. Water is fog. Nope. Um, so the boys are on the ship, drinking, perving on Stevie. Fog, fog bank rolling in. Um, Hated everything here. It's funny that they're like they're like fog bank out there, and then he looks out and he's like, "Hey, there's a fog bank out there." I thought that mm-hmm. was a funny little like one of those one of those subtle jokes, you know, just a fun little. These guys are idiots. Uh, the fog comes in and fucks up the generator, and then a a ghost ship rolls through that they never really show all of. I think they might mm-hmm. show one like still image kind of moving on like a yeah. maybe like a matte painting. But the the shot of them looking up at it from the trawler, I think that's what they're called, um, was yeah. really well done. 
Yeah, no, it was, it was a great shot, especially looking up at the uh, the clipper ship. Um, it definitely established the fact that this is an old-timey thing uh, in one quick shot where you could use bits and pieces of the set and not have to show an entire ship. Definitely a great uh, money-saving idea that came across perfectly on camera. And it doesn't feel like they're on a set either. Like It just it doesn't feel like they're on a set. It, it, it just it works. Yeah, it looked really good. I uh, I couldn't believe... It's another one of those moments where he just makes so much out of so little. Like, how much? Mm-hmm. Do you guys happen to know what the budget for this movie was off the top of your head? One point uh, one million dollars. See, that's. It I mean, made twenty twenty three, I think. Yeah, like adjusted for inflation, that's. Yeah. That's not even a lot for movie making standards. Yeah. Um, do do either of you know how this movie was received in nineteen eighty? Obviously, not well. if it no, but it made. 20 times its money so it was a critical or a box office hit yeah i mean most of his movies are not critically well received until years later he's like we've talked about this before where he's one of those he's he's a genre filmmaker which genre movies often aren't really critically well received uh until the people who saw them as teenagers grow up and become film reviewers and then then they'll they'll go back and say you know this movie is amazing and uh in our outro at the end we'll i'm sure talk about the fact that you know his style and his sensibilities as a filmmaker have been emulated so many times that uh you know we just we love him we love him and like the thing is that people hated him and like i can't even really think of a director who is who was panned as much as he was critically whose career lasted as long as was was so rife with like good stuff um I mean, like, I'm struggling to think of someone. It's He's he's hard to compare to. I, I mean, like, Paul W.S. Anderson, I guess. Oh, <laughs> but like, don't you dare. But I mean, like, what I mean to say is that in the they are very, like, maximalist and heightened genre of filmmaking. I'm not saying that he's as as good as John Carpenter. I would never. Okay. Those words would never come out of my mouth. But, I mean, something like Event Horizon feels a lot like a John Carpenter movie. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, you know, I guess he, he got really obsessed with making video game movies for some reason <laughs> uh, and never stopped. But, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to find someone to compare him to. But uh, his movies typically would do well financially. And that's why they the studios kept giving him another crack at it. Right. Like, all right. Remember yeah. that time that you made Halloween and essentially like funded our studio for the rest of time? Yeah. 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 Basically. Uh, Steve, look at your phone. Um, so. Right. So it comes in, fucks them all up. Ghoul, uh, the ghouls are creeping, face stabbing, um, which I thought was a great scene. This is what I was talking about earlier, where mm-hmm. you actually get to see like the stabbing, where in horror movies they just cut away a lot of the time. And it's not gory or bloody. It's just effective. It's an effective moment. Um, yeah. And then they talk about how we're, we're the... so. Stevie has that friend Dan on the phone who's a weatherman and they kind of allude to the, the, the fog moving in two separate directions, which is like trippy on its own. Yeah. That's a good, that's part of like the, I mean, that's where the horror comes in, right? It's like, okay, now they, now they understand that this fog has a mind of its own. Exactly. Right. And then uh, it's very unnerving. It's super unnerving to think about fog having a mind of its own. It's almost like a like the blob or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
we have a uh, we we have the I, I don't know if it was revealed up to this point that Stevie's actually in the lighthouse, um, but it, it does sh- we do see that she's looking out. And she tells she's like I see it going due east, and he's like it's going due west. And then we cut back to Elizabeth and Nick, who have just gotten it on. Apparently, they're now living together. <laughs> yeah, they're married now. They got yeah. married. They have ten and kids. He is annoyed with her all of the time after this. Yeah. Like she's just following him around wherever he goes. He's like, "Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this." It kind of got to the point that in my notes I stopped writing and and Elizabeth because yeah. <laughs> it's a strange thing to have happen to somebody like Jamie Lee Curtis, where she's just kind of there, ever um, present, yeah. not doing a thing. And we get an ominous knock on the door. Um, there's a shadowy figure and some fog. And he's Tom Atkins. Is, uh, Nick's about to get chopped in the face, and I guess the clock, the glass of the clock breaking. This is this was a really confusing thing for me because that like scared away the ghoul. I guess. Mm. I'm I'm confused by that scene myself. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. So he, yeah, I mean, this is another one of those moments where you just kind of like you're trying to piece together what the rules are. Right. And I, I'm okay with it. I wasn't thinking too hard about it, but at the same time, I'm like, I do want a little bit more clarity here on how these ghosts work. And uh, are we going to get like some salt ring or something where the fog can't go through the salt? <laughs> well, it, it just seems to be like the, the witching hour, right? Like right. they can only really do something during that one period of time, but for how long and how many days in a row? Yeah, it's coming up on a hundred years, but if they can do it on the days leading up, can they do it the days afterwards? Can they do yeah, it, and it how and many like, days leading up? Like what 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 are these rules? What and if they is just... it like their strength is being heightened up until the one hundredth day when they are able yeah. to sort of fully become zombies and stuff? Exactly. Psycho's theory is that the clock broke at the strike of one, so the witching hour ended. Yeah. So it's just and that's the one why hour it went away. So it's like, what if everybody just leaves this town? <laughs> like, if they don't figure out the gold thing at the end and they all just leave. That's kind of like the Michael Myers Halloween thing. Like, just yeah. leave the town. Well, the gold, <laughs> thing at, the gold thing at the end didn't do anything anyway. True. It's all very confusing. <laughs> so, like, the kid that the, you know, I guess turns out to be um, Stevie's son yeah. He's going fishing. He finds a gold coin that just mysteriously turns into a piece of wood with the word Dane on it. Um, also, he comes in and he goes, can I have a Coke and a stomach pounder? What the fuck is a stomach pounder? Oh, I thought he said stomach soother. Oh. I miss this altogether, but it sounds like the best hamburger ever. Yeah, or like yeah. Or a hoagie. I thought maybe he was like wanted like a an, one of those like Things that you put in water that makes it fizzy. Like Alka-Seltzer? Alka-Seltzer, yeah. A, a tummy soother. But a tummy pounder, yeah, that sounds like a, like a triple. Down. Yeah, a bunch of bacon and cheese on it. I want one. I'm going to make myself a low-calorie stomach pounder. It sounds like something else, but we won't get into that. Uh, Nick goes and asks the Dock Masters about the ship boys, and he says they got drunk. So they're just out there still being drunk. He's going to go take a look for them. Um, then we just, it just cuts to a nervous older blonde lady and Sandy. That's, uh, I I still forget her name. What's the, what's the mayor's name? 
Susan? You know me. I don't remember anyone's names. Kathy? Kathy, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and they're looking at like a monument to the ship, I guess, that sank. This this was also yeah. kind of unclear to me, the whole ceremony and everything. Well, just celebrating 100 years of Antonio Bay okay. um, under false pretenses, as we find out. Um, so you said this movie set on the West Coast. Uh, where was the shot? Oh, God. Is it somewhere uh, around San Francisco? I want to say uh, it was NorCal, yeah. Um, oh, God. Let me see what I can find here. Um, a lot of the studio stuff was done in Hollywood. Point Reyes, Bolinas, Inverness, and Sierra Madre. Okay. So in and around, like, yeah, Northern California. Yeah. San Jose. Okay. Yeah. Cool, because I've never seen. This is the shot with the scenic rolling grass hill, and the she's driving. It's yeah. Just I've the never lighthouse seen... is in California. Yeah. I've never seen that before. That shot. I'm surprised more movies don't use specifically that shot. It's probably like a horrible, um, polluted wasteland. Forty years later. Um, Almost definitely. Or like sit or like city. <laughs> um, but it'd be interesting to see what that looks like now. Uh. She finds out, uh, Stevie finds out that the Seagrass trawler hasn't returned, and Nick and Elizabeth go find the Seagrass. This is this this is where I was like, this is very jazzy, and this is like one of those movies where this there's like a pull part where just things are happening between the three groups. Mm-hmm. So Sandy, um, Sandy and Kathy go to the church, and. I kind of noticed that that first part with the father and uh, the guy and then him, the jump scare that we talked about, was kind of like a Ghostbusters opening. You know how all the Ghostbusters movies have like the part with the thing and then it goes into the theme? That's kind of a, a vibe that I got. So they go back there and that's when we get that weird shot of the father. You think you're going to go in and see this father maimed or something, but he comes out of the shadows in a really unique way. Not just the shadows, the complete dark. The complete dark, yep. <laughs> it's terrifying. Which was another really effective jump scare, you know? Yeah. I think there was one jump scare in this movie that actually made me jump, like, where I it hit me and I, I, I even knew it was coming. So you're like, you know this is happening, but it's the part just after he phones the radio station and it's like the guy, kind of the shitty, horny guy. And he goes to check out the sound and the fog. It's just all around him. And the lights are like slowly turning red on his face. And and he gets hooked. He gets neck hooked. And it's it's so long. That scene is so long that you're you're kind of waiting and you're waiting and you know it's going to happen, but you're not quite sure when it's going to happen. And just when your your guard is down enough, you get that sting. And it it got me. Got me good. That's what I was one of my favorite parts. For sure. Yeah. When he's like, yeah, right. These kids are coming to prank me. Yeah. And the fog is just the like old prank up, boys coming up. Prankerton and his brothers. <laughs> Pranky and Pranklin. And uh... Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin. Uh, 
Right. So Father Malone reveals that he's been reading the book. He only reads up to a certain point. It'd be, you know, maybe finish the, the thing. Yeah. To if you're that out. freaked out. Yeah. It's like, I was too scared, so I didn't read anymore. It's like, if you would have read like three more pages, you would know how to end all this. Um, yeah. God's on your side, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eliza and Nick still looking for the boat. We get so they're Eliza and Nick are like on the the trawler now, looking around, investigating, sort of. And Nick's basically like, it looks like this ship, this boat was like flipped over because everything has like seaweed and and everything's like cold and wet. And he he takes a beer can and pours a little bit out and tastes it. It's like it's salt water, and I was like, okay, you could probably smell that it was salt water. Yeah. Thanks for the visual though. Um, anything for another sip, I guess. Everybody's a raging alcoholic in this town. <laughs> That's T- true. Tiny coastal town. That makes sense. It's true. I'm, you know, once again, I, t- I do like how much they play that up though. How like, obviously like nothing really has happened to the boat. Like it did not capsize. It did not roll. Nothing like that. But every vital instrument is waterlogged. Yeah. I find that very interesting. I think that was a really cool story point. Yeah. And then uh, we'll get to it. It's, it's like we're motoring through at this point. Um, but the, the corpse is also like, it's like, it's been dead and bloated at the bottom of the ocean for months, but it's been yeah. hours. We get a bogus jump scare from a radio um, as sort of a misdirect or a foreshadowing to the real jump scare that's coming. But I, it's a once it like the radio really is kind of like a, I th- an entity in this movie that ties everything together. And the book talks about, so this is a part that it was kind of confusing to me about the story. So is it that they wanted to build the church and people didn't want it to be built because of some sort of gold being buried there and they wanted the gold. So they killed the people or vice versa. I missed I don't know how I missed an element of the story, but can somebody enlighten me on what the book is basically saying? Yeah. Um, well, Blake was a very rich man and he and the people in his boat were all suffering from leprosy. Um, so he wanted to offer money to the community to set up a leper colony. Right. Okay. And instead they, intentionally sank the ship killing everyone on board and used the money to like the gold on board to fund the town to fund the town settle the town okay they pirated them cool because (laughs) the book the book talks about like when in the reveal that like i didn't want to do this but like what am i going to do go against the people who are the killers Um, so this whole shit's haunted. And then, uh, Nick tells a story right after that. (laughs) Oh, Nick. They're talking about that. Elizabeth's like, I'm bad luck. And he's like, I don't believe in shit. (laughs) I was like, okay, I don't believe in anything. Actually, it makes sense now what you said that he's just now annoyed by her. Oh yeah, totally. I didn't even pick up on that. I was just like, she's useless in this plot now. Um, she's like, she's obviously going to be final girl is what I thought was going to happen. 
Yeah. But she's kind of one of final the final six. Nobody really nobody of note really dies. It's all people like around them are kind of dropping. But um he tells a story about his dad who worked on a brig and they had an encounter with the ship and they got on the ship and there was like food still warm and a cup that was like rusted to the table and he picked up a dabloon 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 um and he took he, d- he brought the dabloon back home and to give to his kid and then when he went to get it it was gone and that was actually 1960 oh my goodness or something it was a there was some something about the date on that as well. Anyway, um, a dead an eyeless dead guy falls out and scares everybody, and that was actually good. That got me. I didn't expect that was a good it. jump scare for sure. Because I thought the jump scare for that scene was the uh, was the radio, but that was a that was a good bait and switch to do. And uh, things keep happening. Oh yeah, this is so. This is when I recognize. This is another one of those like the body falls on them and then it just goes to the next thing. Yeah, they cut immediately. <laughs> Things just keep happening, and they're like, "Yeah, well, let's not uh, dwell on that too much. Let's just uh, move move right along." Um, it they don't. He, John Carpenter must have wanted to do like let things breathe a bit more because if you watch, yeah. there's a scene in in Escape from New York when Snake Plissken first gets there, and he's just sneaking around for like ten yeah. minutes. It's he's just great. looking around for ten minutes. He's he's doing a Metal Gear Solid sneak around. Um. And this is, yeah, this is the, the next thing is that you brought this up earlier where we just smash cuts to um, Stevie going to her lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the part where she, the radio switches over to like demonic, of demonic voice. The piece of wood that her son gave her erupts into water, smoke, and like a weird flame. I wouldn't really call it a flame, more like a firework. Which I thought was saying, a... six must die. Yeah, so I think six people have to die for this curse to go away. And one thing that they they do cover in the book that wasn't mentioned in the movie is that you, you had mentioned that the people that died just kind of seem random. Uh, in the book, you find out that they're all descendants of the people that sank the ship. Oh, uh, that makes sense. okay, like a Freddy Krueger style. Exactly. So you're like this, okay, these these revenge peripheral characters that we don't even really know that we're not introduced to that just really get killed that amount to the six mm-hmm. are actual like bloodline relatives of the people that sank Blake's boat. So I don't know why they wouldn't include that in the film or if they did, I completely missed that. I don't think they did. I think I would have picked up on that and I think it might have been a runtime thing. It would have had to have been because Todd... Telling a story like that throughout the movie probably would have added another 10 minutes or more, yeah. 10, 15 yeah. minutes to like really hit home. Why? Because you'd have to have like some sort of a flashback. There, this movie, John Carpenter has this thing where people tell stories instead of an exposition mm. dump. You get sort of exposition through like this thing happened, you know, like Loomis does it all through <laughs> Halloween movies, yeah. you know, so... I'm not even I'm not even at the point where the druids mean anything yet. I'm on the fourth or fifth one. 
Um, oh, Space Cadet Tim uh, just got home. Am I in time for the home loan of it all? No, we're getting to it. It's coming up. Uh, the she immediately after she witnesses that she immediately calls her kid and is like, "Where the fuck did you get that wood from?" And he's like, "I don't know. I just found it. It was a coin, and then it was wood." <laughs> It's like, if you, it happens. If you're going to go to the water ever again, please bring me with you and do not pick up anything unless I say it is okay. And then the kid's like, I see the fog rolling in. Oh, <laughs> fuck. So we get the scene with the coroner. Uh, we're there at the hospital. Uh, she, he says the guy looks like he's been underwater for a month, but he's only been dead a few hours. And then it suddenly gets cold in the hospital and the body... Uh, I realize now what happened. I didn't know at the time, but the body like gets up and goes towards um, old scream queen uh, Elizabeth. She screams and the body drops and it's carved something. I thought it was trying to carve like 13, but I'm realizing now it's trying to carve six. Yeah. I just put that together. I don't think we need this scene in the movie. I think it was just for spookiness. Yeah. Spooky. But why did I, it almost cheapens the rest of the film. I find. Yeah, like what was King? It's it's just throwaway horror fare at this point. What was it controlled by? Why? What? What was it there to do other than just make you feel a certain way? Right. You do need a morgue scene if you're gonna have a guy with his eyes cut out, but like make them make it gross or something. Like don't just like or make fog come out of his eyes. Yeah, but like we also don't see anything else like this in the movie, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like tonally mismatched from everything else right like it exactly it it does feel like what they're trying to do is to calm things down for a second to be like all right everybody just let's just chill for a minute and uh maybe we'll give you some kind of explanation but then you don't really get any kind of explanation from it really yeah it's it's a new rule maybe yeah yeah like it's 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 very much a classic what are we doing here scene yeah, yeah, but I mean, after coming off of Stay Alive, where they have far too many what-are-we-doing-here scenes, it is, I'm glad that they kept it at least short, yeah. even though it does feel out of place. Um, yeah. Stay Alive, almost the, like, at least 15 minutes of the runtime total is people standing around speculating on shit. You're <laughs> like, okay, shut up. Yeah. Move along. And they try this a little bit, because right here we have Nick and Stevie talking as, as the fog rolls in. And I, I speculated it was going to be a bloodbath for the last half hour. And that kind of like, it kind of leads into the home alone of it all, but I'm not quite, you know what, actually, um, I didn't, I was going to bring it up last week and I just didn't. And then we didn't do the segment at all. So I'm going to do the home alone of it all. We can just do it quickly, but this is uh, the home alone of it all. If you had to pick one, well, what do you think the home, alone of, the home alone of it all? Can someone please tell me when the home alone? Of I really got it. When is the home alone of it all? What is the home alone of it all? Now that's the home alone of it all. The home alone of it all is, of course, the uh, theory that I have that um, most movies have sort of a moment where it kicks off. Uh, in Home Alone, when Kevin McAllister runs home and slaps the blueprint down on the table with all the traps on it, that's sort of what you are there to see. You're sort of there to see uh, the burglars get owned by Kevin. Some movies have it. Some movies start sooner than others. Um, Steve has speculated that it, it could just be a the trailer moments sort of put together. 
I've I've figured out that in a lot of movies it's just the third act. But in this, I think once once he gets up and walks towards him, towards her and falls down, that's sort of when it kicks into that next gear. The fog rolls in, and then we get like that last half hour of just like yeah. horror. So, do you guys have any um, anything to add to that? Like, did you have another moment that you would think would uh, uh, articulate the home alone of it all? Uh, for me, it was that scene that I, I talked about earlier where the, the guy calls the radio station and um, you literally see the fog rolling over the uh, the water. It kind of felt like the home alone of it all to me. It was just like, okay, everything has been boiling up to this point and now we're going to get the uh, the titular fog, the fog of it all. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might be a little bit earlier than that for me uh, where uh, Nick and Elizabeth are in bed and he's flipping through her book of art or paintings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they start getting that like repetitive knock at the door. You can see the fog. You can see... A, a very clean outline, like a silhouette of a person, way too clean, who does not look like a waterlogged pirate or anything. <laughs> Looks but, like Michael like, Myers. Yeah, it, well, it really does. Um, but then, like, it's when the clock hits one, I think, at that point, where like he then opens the door and everything is gone, including the fog. I'm like, okay, so... There, there's certain rules we're playing by here. If he opened that door a few seconds earlier, he would have been like hooked in the neck or something. Um, I find that the the morgue scene is where we started getting a little too crazy with it. Um, I I feel like if we remove that scene from the movie, it plays out much smoother as a haunting narrative. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like if you're not gonna if you're not gonna expound on all of the the narrative background of why he's kill they're killing who they're killing make the movie yeah. like like 86 minutes <laughs> cut <laughs> cut little bits why not but it already feels like they cut necessary stuff by just like the windows of a car exploding and then them just like the next scene they're yep. in bed together like there's something what yep. happened <laughs> anyway back to the plot um Stevie notices the fog rolling in. She basically puts it in APB because she has the power of the radio. So she can talk to everybody in town simultaneously. Cause that's the only radio station they listen to. Uh, and Liz and Nick, he just Nick really, he slams on the brakes, almost flips that old school truck. Um, the, this is the scene that you were talking about. The fog rolls into Dan's house He's talking to uh, Stevie on the phone. He's like, well, I, he's constantly hitting on Stevie. And she's like, not really entertaining it. I actually wrote early in my notes that I was like, I kind of kind of dig these guys' vibe, the cat and mouse that they're yeah. playing. But, he, you know, he, he as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, he's like a kind of a sleazy weirdo. <laughs> he's in his... Yeah, they, they did the character wrong. They could have written him a little bit differently and it would have been a really fun addition to the plot. Yeah. Like you kind of, you kind of get the sense that that's who she's meant to end up with, exactly. Instead of yeah. being like he's constantly making advances, usually over the phone, because they both have jobs where they work in like remote buildings and they're not really dealing with other humans, but they yeah. call each other because they have to talk to each other, because she's in a lighthouse and he's the weatherman. She can see the whole ocean. It's a good. You're right. It should have been written a little bit differently. I like that. 
and uh, Dan, old Danny boy thinks it's a joke that the um, the fog is there. They're like, what are they? What are these kids doing out here? What's going on? He gets stabbed in the neck for his trouble, as Steve said earlier. And uh, Stevie hears the whole thing, and she's sh- like freaking out. <laughs> Just You're rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get to learn about what other things the fog can do it can take down a generator it can cut power lines it can take down the fucking power for a whole town um luckily did this happen already where the fog takes her tower out and then she just has a generator and she that was when she puts out the apb she hits the generator i believe so yeah yeah okay the fog attacks the kid and the babysitter. So the kid's been with the babysitter this whole time, which was like some throwaway nonsense. Just to remember this, remember this kid. That's how that felt. Now that's the home alone of it all. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally Kevin McAllister's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously the old lady opens the door to see what the smoke is all about. And she gets pulled into the smoke and you just see the like guy stabbing which i thought was kind of funny it's like are they gonna kill an old lady on camera they do they they had to but they do it in a way that is like almost funny i thought it's hilarious it does not fit by any means no no (laughs) no um the fog boys get to the kid, uh, but then Nick hears the call and he makes it there in time to save the kid. Smashes out the window. He's like, get through. And this was another thing where he just smashes the window and says, come on. And then it cuts. It doesn't even like show the kid go through the window, I don't think. He just says, come on. And then it's then it's like, oh. We get, on to the next scene. Yeah, we get some. <laughs> it's The editing is really weird in this movie. Yes. Um, this The sound design in this this segment though this part there's like a horn crescendo and the truck gets stuck and that we already kind of went through this scene early in the episode yeah. so we don't have to dwell on it but you do get that you do get the real almost friday the 13th style you know something's coming but you don't know how long you have i i missed the music in this scene i i don't remember it was it actually that prominent yeah. or did it really yeah. i'm definitely have to go back and re watch that part I, I, there was a big like like almost like they did the climax with the music and this that her them trying to get away is kind of the climax of the movie yeah 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 um right and then i just made a note about how it was cool that it it flipped stevie flipped from just being the calm voice in the background just saying the news and the weather and the here's the next song from jj abrams the smooth sounds of Jazzy McJones. That's none of that's anything. Anyway, it goes from her freak. You can hear her freaking out like everybody get to somewhere safe. Get away to the fog. Get down. Get down. Get and, down. And we just this is what I was talking about earlier. Where we get those like long road shots where people are like driving down and the fog comes. I'm surprised they never lampooned this on The Simpsons because this feels like a really like easy to make jokes about the fog going this way and people running and then the. Guess I forgot to put the fog lights in. <laughs> but what the fog kind of does is it corrals the six back to the, it kind of leads them all back to the the church from different parts of town. And we yeah. have Nick, Elizabeth, the mayor, Sandy, Father Malone, and boy. A stomach pounder. <laughs> uh, Andy. Andy. And, uh, and boy but the fog and boy and the fog also is gets to stevie as well 
And basically, this is like he reads one more page and it's like, oh, we're just going to give the gold back. <laughs> cool. Um, I love that they made a giant cross out of the leftover gold. Yeah. I do like that set piece. I also like the set piece of them pushing furniture over the window like a video game. And then yeah. the hand, like the animatronic hands coming through was really cool. Look great. Look fantastic. That could have looked so shitty, but ends up, I'm so like, I'm so like over CGI that when I see some good practical that it like makes it even better. Oh, definitely. So. Yeah. After last week, especially. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sandra almost gets killed. Um, Father Malone grabs the cross and Andy's like, don't go in there. It's dangerous. And it feels like he's trying to just get away with the cross is what I, my, where my brain went. Cause I really wanted this father character to be a piece of shit, even though it's just kind of like a regular, regular guy drunk, mm-hmm. drunk, definitely trying to save the day has God on his side. Um, but the zombies, uh, oh yeah, I have this issue with zombies in general, even though it's one of my favorite horror genres, these zombies are so slow that it's like, just walk away from them. So that's why I was wondering, that's when I started to really think about like, what are the rules? Because it's like, they're, if you, do they manifest in the smoke and can appear or is the smoke shrouding them so you can't see them but if you if they're just slow moving zombie people just move out of the way you know what i mean did you guys like think about that at all (laughs) i fully believe they manifest in the fog like they can just move fast through the fog and then yeah they appear and then they're the same way jason can teleport yeah okay it's the only way that makes sense to me they kind of look they 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 look like michael myers in stature but like visually they kind of all look have that jason has been has fought for his life 20 times and it's just all mangled exactly yeah so basically this is the end of the movie father malone goes into the main church area and tries to give the gold back uh and simultaneously they're chasing stevie up to the roof of the fucking lighthouse um cutting back and forth stevie's like fighting them off with a hook she takes a hook to the arm boom but she's kind of just like swiping at them she's most certainly going to die and then nick pulls the father off the cross in the other scene and the gold goes back and everything stops basically right is that safe to say it's pretty much yes it's all good and then yeah and then uh i guess that's it but then we get a sequel. We get like a sequel teaser because they just appear again and start reaping havoc. So I don't know. They kill the father and then credits. It's because he was the last uh, descendant right? needed for the six. Right. Even though he thought giving the gold back would, would fix everything. Not the case. Yeah. So... This is a, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot to like dwell on. So it's not going to be one of our three hour long extravaganzas. I think even if we could take that kind of time with it, it would just be, there's not a lot to this movie. You know, it's. I think that's why it works so well. Yeah. It's, it doesn't feel like it's streamlined. 
it says what it has to say in the time it needs to say it. And it's done well enough that when that 90 minutes is up and the credits are over, you feel like you just enjoyed a really good film. Absolutely. So we will go into our final thoughts uh, in a second here. But, Ben, we have a little game we like to play at the end of every episode. Okay. Would you like to play? Would you like to play? Do, do, do I have a choice? No. Do I have to? <laughs> no. Uh, ladies and gentlemen... The MPAA, everyone. Really the MPAA. Wow. Wow. It's time to play Guess the MPAA. Welcome back to the number one game show on Hated to See This One. It is, of course, the MPAA rating game. The MPAA certificate number is, of course, the number that shows up at the end of credits. It is the certificate number to display that the movie has been rated by the MPAA. Now, it is a five-digit number, Ben and Steve. I don't tell Steve in advance. He doesn't look it up in advance. And Ben, of course, you are being blindsided by this. So all you have to do is I'm going to give you two numbers, and then you have to guess the next three digits in the five-digit number. Does that make sense to you? Yes. You will have two guesses. You will go back and forth, and I will tell if you're higher or lower. Ben, the first two digits are two five. What are the next three digits? One four six. Higher. Six six six. <laughs> ben higher. Seven four eight. Steve higher. Nine two. Seven. What? Oh. <laughs> That's incorrect. Thank you for playing the MPAA rating game. The MPAA for this movie is 25792. I was close. The MPAA, everyone. The MPAA. Wow. 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 Ben, thank you for playing that. You, uh, Steve got pretty close last week, but that is, uh, that is a pretty... That is a pretty close guess. Um, thank you for playing. Now we're going to go into our uh, final thoughts, ladies and beans and genies. What? I have to like put these like with numbers because what is it? Final thoughts. There it is. It's time for our final thoughts. Uh, it is a tradition on Hey Did You See This One to for the guest to go first. So, Ben, why don't you hit us with your insummation? And if you have, like, a rating for this movie, you can have it out of a number or you can have a, just an abstract uh, uh, rating. But why don't you give it to us? <laughs> um, obviously, John Carpenter is my, my favorite director. Uh, fantastic to see him do a ghost film. Uh, his only one. Um. Like we had talked about before, I, I slept on this movie for a long time. I watched it. I didn't appreciate it until just last night where I watched it. And and we, we had a really good time with it. I, I think it's a fantastic film. Atkins is phenomenal, as always. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, great. Adrian Barbeau, fantastic. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill as, as writers and Carpenter's directing. Um, 
Janet Lee, Buck Flowers, who we didn't even reference in this, who is in They oh, right. Live. Yeah. Um, everybody in this movie is great. Um, I, I'm definitely going to give this a, a, a six out of There Must Be Six. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Thank you, Steve, uh, hit us with your final thoughts for the film <clears throat> The Fog. Um, I think The Fog is very fun, and I regret my opinion of it being so low for so long, um, strictly out of just not giving it enough respect for a revisit, and I'm glad we, we finally got to it in this month, the month of madness. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually kind of want to watch it again, and... I, I'm interested to know what you have to think about uh, the remake, Ben. So when you finish watching that, let me know, and maybe I'll check that one out as well. Hopefully um, that'll be tonight. Yeah, I'm curious. I have no idea if I've seen it or not. There are a, a plenty of movies that came out in around 2005 to 2008 where I, I just saw so many movies because I was working at the movie theater, and I just some of them just didn't stick, <laughs> did not stick in my mind. Um, so I'd be interested. Um, if I had to give this movie a rating... Uh, I give it a deep peer into the fog, followed by a hook to the neck. <laughs> Don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, depends on if you like fog or hook. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Thank you, Steve. Um uh, I, well, you know, what an interesting horror film as only John Carpenter can do. It's less genre-bendy than his other films, and uh, it's a little bit more in the Halloween style. And I, we think we covered what that means throughout this, movie, throughout this uh, review. Um, only so much better! <laughs> That's right. Debatable. That's right. Uh, there was no real wasted motion, almost to a fault. Um, there were... Lots of parts that I felt like, <laughs> what happened? Move to the next thing. But that's okay. Sometimes old movies try to do too much. Its ambience uh, with the cinematography and the score were on point, and the vibe was unsettling in the best way. The murders were shown, and there wasn't really the old horror cutaway. Just show it. Especially if it's not going to be bloody. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to get away with the rating if it's not going to have all kinds yeah. of gore and blood. Just just show it and don't cut away. Um, Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Uh, I give this a 3.7 out of 5. I recommend it for fans of John Carpenter and horror. And I give this movie a trawler full of drunk guys, but it's bordered by awesome zombie fishermen. Or pirates? Uh, Zom zombie ghost lepers? Zombie ghost lepers. Oh, thank you. Um, I uh, I really feel like this was uh, this was a great way to start the month, but also like I I usually have this problem where I feel like we're not going to be able to talk about a movie, but this one I knew we were going to be able to talk about it for the exact right amount of time, you know, like there wasn't too much to like really dwell on. And I think John Carpenter movies kind of do that. Well, where that's the movie you said, the things that happened and there's not a whole lot extra because there doesn't need to be. And he has such a vision that you just, but this one, there was a lot to speculate on because it was so, there was so many like disjointed bits. 
but with that said, that that brings us to Ben. Would yeah. you like to maybe you know do a little pluggy pluggy? Got something on the got something on the board you'd like to talk about? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I'm assuming anybody watching who's seen me here before knows that I'm a co-host of the BS Bargain Bin podcast. Um, you find us everywhere: bsbargainbin.com, Facebook, BS Bargain Bin, Twitter, or X at BS Bargain Bin. Uh, really, our, our fun times are on YouTube, where you can uh, you can catch the BS Bargain Bin and Channel Surfing, which is uh, another show we do where we cover the first season of a TV show episode by episode. Um, just having fun times, me and my co-host Sandro. So we'll have guests on randomly. Jason, you've been on before. Hopefully, we'll have you on again soon. And uh, I just want to say thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. This is it's always fun talking to you, guys. Awesome. Yeah, I hope you'll have uh, Steve on as well because uh, he likes to oh, talk definitely. about movies as well. Uh, and Psycho, Cy- thanks for hanging out. That's uh, of course the BS Bargain Bin Pod Show co-host he said something funny here is bullshit he offers himself and the cross up and they just take the cross and later it's like psych which i thought was funny and then uh the bs bargain bin podcast is of course endorsed by adam green there's a video up on their uh their facebook right now of the movie crypt is that the adam green and joe lynch podcast where they where they talk about um where they talk about uh, ben's show ben and sandra's show What's up, Grantes the Mantis? Welcome in. We're shutting it down. <laughs> um, yeah, I just really quickly want to say what I said at the top of the show. It's your call to action. Please like, subscribe on all social media. You can find 100 audio episodes on uh, Spotify and, and Apple. You can find all of our episodes, uh, minus maybe three now, um, up on YouTube. Those are slowly have slowly been getting released. It's been a year-long project to get all of the stuff online. All of our um, audio is going up on YouTube tomorrow, so look out for that. You can find us on all social media at Hey Did You See This One. Um, this has been a fantastic show. Stay tuned uh, for a couple minutes. I've got one last thing that I'm going to play for everybody. Um, but as I ask each and every week, and now what I do is I ask the host to say it. Uh, ben, do you have a question you'd like to ask all the people? Um, yeah, it was, um, hey, did you see this one? You have to keep in mind that being a director doesn't mean that you're making what you want to make. More often than not, as a director, you're an employee working for the producer, and you're doing what they want in your style as they see fit. Um, I think over time he became cynical because he was being forced to make bigger movies with a larger budget but not a budget large enough to make the movie that people wanted him to make because he did so well with lower budgets with like Escape from New York Um, I think if you want a John Carpenter film to be successful give him the minimal amount of money that he needs to tell the story that he wants that he's happy with and give it a wider release the people are there to pay for it and, and they will go watch it like there are so many fans of his early stuff it's as his budgets expanded as the uh, expectations grew to be blockbusters to be crazy action films he's not an action director uh he, he he's a drama he's a horror director so when you're expecting multi-million dollar box office results from somebody who's not 
specialized in doing what you are expecting them to draw, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? Just let him do what he's good at, give it a wider release, in the end it's going to be cheaper, and you're going to see a bigger profit off of it. I think that he also sort of became disillusioned by the fact that, you know, he's very creative. He has a he has a good understanding of, of how to, like, put a person on screen and is responsible for several people becoming really famous in their careers. But he also was met with people have, like having been so impacted by his own movies that people started making John Carpenter movies that were better than John Carpenter movies that he could make. And like, like he would see point. movies that reminded him so much of his own movies that he was like, I think that there's, there is a younger generation now that are making the same things that I would like to I make, but they're making it better. One of those people. <laughs> he's, he's watching his craft be perfected by people that were inspired by him which you know probably you feels he's happy about that and he can like sit back well I, I was gonna say it's probably like a double-edged sword where he's probably happy about the fact that he's influenced people to make something that he would love to make but seeing them make it better than him is like well I, i'm not needed here anymore like my job is done like I, i've seen what i would want to make and how i'd want to make it being made better than maybe i could have made, made it that's and an like, amazing point i never considered and it's kind of sad, but at the same time, it's like kind of nice, you know, like it, it means that, you know, his he has like a, a, a nice lush career. He made what, like 19, 20 movies, something like that. And each and every one of them has clearly inspired somebody because yeah. you can almost yeah. pinpoint a singular moment in any one of his movies that has been either homaged or, or completely ripped off or like redone in a loving way. And like, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Is it over?